Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of these, your faithful, gathered here out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Certainly you've seen them out and about, young men, uh, and they're always in pairs. And they often wear nice slacks and white button-down shirts, sometimes with ties. They're part of the Mormon tradition, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And they stood out a lot more in the little town where I grew up, in El Campo, because it was just smaller. I, I don't see them so often around Dallas, but I do see them on occasion. When they used to come to our door, when I lived in El Campo, we always hoped that my dad wouldn't be there. <laughs> because if he were there, he would invite them in, and the three daughters and my mom would scatter. <laughs> and close the door to the living room. <laughs> I, you know, I always thought it was odd that they knocked on doors, and, and I don't imagine they often got invited in like my dad invited them in. I just don't <laughs> think many people did. But as I've gotten older, I, I kind of admire them. You know, it takes a lot to make that kind of commitment to travel about with another person you may or may not know all that well when you start. I guess you get to know pretty well after you've been on your mission for a while. And to reach out to perfect strangers to share your faith. When I asked Papa Hutt about why he invited them in, he says, well, I'm just curious. I just want to know. I want to know what they believe. I want to find out who they are and where they're from. And and I thought, gosh, what a great way, what a wonderfully hospitable way to be. Well, you know, um, I guess there's probably a lot we could learn from them. But let's take a look at the Gospels reading today. It's probably a familiar one to you. And before we go into the text itself, I, I want to say a word about the culture, because I think it's important that we understand it. In the first century of the Common Era, the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, ushered in by the Roman Empire, was the promise of peace throughout the world, the known world at that time. But that peace and that promise was at the subjugation of others. So the Roman armies would travel from place to place, conquering smaller powers, and ushering in protection and hopes for prosperity in exchange for tribute and obedience. The spoils of their campaigns brought wealth to the leaders of the Roman Empire. So now, think about the contrast of that with this lesson we heard today. Jesus instructs his followers to go from town to town and offer peace. Not the peace reserved for the wealthy elite, 
not a peace that comes about through destruction and death. Where the Romans brought death and took plunder, the apostles who have been sent bring life and healing and restored relationships. That's the peace that they offer. Pax Romana was a great and glorious time for the elite few. You know, there are voices in our world today who would seek to consolidate power and wealth that will, without a doubt, benefit an elite subset of every nation. Considering all that, now let's turn to the text and look in depth at it. The, the wonderful thing about the reading today is that it is, uh, it gives Jesus instructions in compact. You know, I mean, it's just right there. The instructions that Jesus has for these 70 or 72, whichever manuscript you're using, we're going to go with 72 uh, in Luke. You know, uh, Jesus offers some very explicit instructions. The work is urgent. There's not time for waste, for the harvest is ready. It won't be easy. In fact, sometimes you'll feel like sheep who are the prey of wolves. Don't take anything with you. Now, this is the hard one for us because when we go on trips, <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> when we go on trips, we pack a lot of stuff that we think we can't live without. <laughs> Jesus says, don't take anything with you, not a change of clothes, not an extra pair of shoes. You will need to rely solely on the hospitality of strangers. And moreover, you will need to be hospitable back. You will eat the food that they offer to you. You will um, rest where they offer that. I mean, that, that the hospitality is to go both ways. Jesus says, go in pairs, because this is the kind of thing that's never been something to do alone. And you have a script to follow. You are to declare peace. That's what... You're supposed to say, peace be with you. Again, this is not going to be easy work. And sometimes when you think the harvest is ready, it's really not. At least if the responses of those who are less than welcoming is any indication. You're not in charge of how people respond. You are just the emissary, the messenger the one speaking for Jesus. It's all right there. It's all right there in the scriptures, a few short verses. That's the tasks that we have before us. It's right there. So at this point, I think a word of distinction might be important. 
in the language that's used in scripture. You see, um, I don't know that we get this unless we actually unpack the words. But the word disciple means learner. It means, in our case as Christians, followers of Jesus, trying to follow what he teaches, how he lives, and all of us are disciples. Now, Paul makes some distinctions in his letters about people being called to different things and having different gifts. But being a disciple means that you are called. Somehow, some way, God got a hold of you. And that's kind of a neat thing, isn't it, to think about? And that we're all disciples. And sometimes we are apostles. Now, the word apostle means the sent out ones. That apostles are sent out into the world. And I would say that all of us are called to be apostles. And if that gives you the willies, it ought to. Because <laughs> to go out into the world and share the good news is sometimes, well, sometimes it's dangerous even. But we're both. We're, we're both and. We are called and sent. We are disciples and apostles. The movement is important. So think about this. When we're called, we take in things. When we're sent, we give out things, right? So this is a really important movement that just like we breathe in and we breathe out, it is part of the movement in the universe that we receive and we are to give. I'm taking Tai Chi and I love it. <laughs> and uh, one of the movements that I really like, we have this one movement, and it, it's all named after animals, like the, when you pull the peacock's tail, you know, and things like that. Um, but uh, the, one of the movements I love is that you uh, move forward and then you go like this. You take it in and push it out. I didn't do that so good. <laughs> it, it's my high heels. Uh, but, you know, uh, all throughout the, the Tai Chi, you, you take in and you give out. You know, you, you take in things and then you Give it out. And that's the sort of movement in our faith, right? That we are brought into our faith, we take in things, and then we give out things. You know, Jesus seemed to know that at some point his followers needed to share what they had learned. I mean, perhaps Jesus knew that when you teach somebody, you learn far more than they do. I mean, literally, teachers know this. When you teach... You have to really be on it because you, 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 you are not only teaching, but you have to be ready to answer the questions and, and go further than maybe what you prepared. The other thing is that this passage takes place as Jesus has turned his face to Jerusalem, meaning that he's headed to Jerusalem to fulfill his mission. And for that mission, which God had called him to, 
for it to survive would mean the followers had to be able to share this, right? So Jesus selected 72 of the followers to go out into the region and share what they had learned and experienced. So y'all know, of course, about the, the Dead Sea, right? Ages ago, a saltwater lagoon was connected to the Mediterranean Sea. And then the tectonic plates moved, and that, that little uh, lagoon was cut off from the sea itself. Uh, and because of this being cut off, it became more like a lake than a sea. But they call it the Dead Sea. And, and the water supply that comes into that Dead Sea uh, comes from aquifers and freshwater springs. But the, because of the temperature of the region, the, that gets evaporated quickly and drops, leaving the sea very salty. Nothing lives in it. No animals, no birds, no fish, no body. And you can float for days, you know, because of the salt in the, in the sea. But the reason why it is called the Dead Sea is not only because no, nothing lives in it, but, but because it doesn't, have any, it doesn't have any outflow. So it takes in fresh water, but it doesn't have anywhere for it to go. And so the water evaporates, and it's left salty. No outflow. And let's be honest. A lot of people like to get all the inflow, but don't necessarily want to give the outflow. So out of the scripture, there are four important things I want you to remember. You know, it's like in the TikTok thing where they say, do not do this at home. Uh, do not do this alone. You know, one of the big reasons I think the church is so important is because you realize you're not alone in this. You are sharing this journey with other people. And that's a really important thing, that we discover that there are others just like us who are hungry to understand this mystery we call God. And so don't do this alone. Do it with people. Um, because if you do it with somebody, two or three even, you know, Jesus said two or three are gathered. But if you do it with people, there's always somebody to encourage you. When you get fed up, when you think, I'm done with this, there are people around you who on a given day will be supportive and maybe they'll be discouraged on a day that you can lift them up. The second thing is that, you know, in today's world, a lot of people talk about uh, the decline of the church, right? And then uh, oftentimes in a lot of churches, people feel the ch church is declining and they don't, there's nothing they know what to do about it. And there's a big sense of helplessness. We're not big enough to make a difference. We're not wealthy enough. We don't have the resources. You know, you've heard this, right? But notice that Jesus calls 72 people. Not 700. Not 7,000. 72. And so... 
you know, think about that. And think about what the followers of Jesus accomplished in the years after his death and resurrection. Just 70 people in the beginning, and with faith and courage, they changed the world. And here's what I find very interesting, and this is a true thing. Well, I hope everything that I say is true, but <laughs> this is a true thing. You know what the average worship attendance is in the churches of the United Church of Christ? 70. That's the average of all, you know, when you take all the big churches and the little bitty churches and all that, 70 is the average worship attendance. So, turns out that God has a habit of accomplishing unlikely and incredible things with unlikely and ordinary people, like you and me. Turns out there's power in the unlikely and the ordinary. Third, I want you to notice the willingness for these 70 to be dependent on others. No purse, no bag, no sandals, and no guarantee on how they will be received. He doesn't say everybody's going to like you, and for a two on the Enneagram, that's just bad. <laughs> All they have is the promise of Jesus who said, I will be with you. That's all they've got. I will be with you. You will do great things. And I will bring you home. In Richard Rohr's book, The Divine Dance, is the, it's part of our book club right now. Uh, the very first thing he talks about is vulnerability. And um, says right off the bat that vulnerability is the key to ongoing growth and change. And it's risky because it means you might get hurt, wounded. But it can also mean that you might receive gifts. And, and always that risk is there. Vulnerability, Richard Rohr says, is the path to holiness and wholeness. And, and we never actually get all the way there. It's always something we are striving for, right? And then the last thing is that the harvest is still plentiful and the laborers are still few. I mean, what might it mean for us to actively and consistently keep our eyes out for people who need us all the time? And get this, okay. <laughs> and not just because they need us, but because we need them. I mean, do you understand? This is so, I mean, I think this is the whole linchpin of the scripture is that, that we think we are the ones to come with the gifts. But, I mean, again, Richard Rohr in this book says God's lifetime and life work in us is to bring us into relationship with the triune God, Abba, Christ, and Spirit. He, however, points out that others, people who are marginalized, I mean, the oppressed, the poor, the mentally disabled, the least, the last, the lonely, the lost, have a deep understanding of this relationship. And you know why? Because they must trust God. It's all they've got. 
They need communion. They know that only the vulnerable people understand them. They profit from mutuality. There's always, they are always in relationship. They find little ways to serve their community. They know that only a suffering God can save them. That just gives me chill bumps to think about that. This may be the greater gift of Jesus' teaching in today's scripture. Yes, Jesus gave them the power to heal and to cast out demons. And that's pretty fleshy stuff, isn't it? But maybe the greater gift was the power to work together and rely on the hospitality of others, to be vulnerable, to work in community. We are called and sent not to ask whether we will be on the side that benefits from or suffers from imposed greatness for the select elite. Rather, we are called and sent to ask how to serve the holy mystery, who sends us like lambs into the midst of wolves to bring a different kind of peace, the peace of Jesus, how he lived and how he taught. That the real gift is this gift of realizing in other people we see God. This is the holy mystery. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. Oh, no, go sit back down. I forgot a page. <laughs> I, okay, so I'm going to take this up here so I don't forget it. Um, you now might be thinking, oh, no, I... I can't do this. I'm not, I couldn't be one of the 70 then. I can't be one of the 70 now. But a friend of mine wrote a devotional recently that I think speaks to this. I know you could never think of yourself as courageous and heroic. Maybe not. And maybe you cringe at the idea of sharing your faith because, well, you might offend somebody. And it could be that you think faith is more about an absence of doubt than it is in trusting in God that trust and hope are luxuries of the privileged. And this is why I had to keep, I had to have everybody sit back down. If so, my friend and colleague, Vic, uh, Reverend Vicki Kemper said this, faith is not something rare and heroic, but an intrinsic part of the made in the divine image package. If you're human, you have it. You have it. So just remember that when God says go, go. Amen.